lovely. Oh, dead and lovely. It's podcast time in the city. Ring a ding. Ring a ding. Hear them ring. Hear them ring. <laughs> Soon it will be <laughs> podcast time. <laughs> and that time is motherfucking now. Welcome wow. to this week's installment of Dead people and People don't Lovely. know. People probably don't know. Like most of our intros, uh, all of them, in fact, are completely improv on the spot. I, I know it's hard to believe. <laughs> well, the thing is, too, is like most people probably think of me as the musical one. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but they don't know. Steve packs himself a tune as well. He'll come at you singing. I will. I will. That's true. I actually, that happens a lot on the street. I'll just come up to people <laughs> and start singing at them. Hey, you. <laughs> like that. Uh, remember that uh, Corey Feldman uh, <laughs> thing where he was singing to his wife and he was oh, like yeah. right up in her face? <laughs> that, that didn't look awkward at all. That didn't look awkward at all. No, but I, I do that to people <laughs> all the time. I can't blame you out there in those Hollywood Hills. What else are you going to be doing? Well, I'm trying to get discovered. Oh, that's the plan. That's right. That's right. You're trying to go viral. I've been sitting around at drugstores with my tits out, and that's not helping, so... Damn it. You got to take <laughs> one of those viral selfies that all the kids are doing these days. Oh, yeah, where I'm, like, planking or something. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, uh, man. Statue thing. Um, do we do the ice bucket thing still? Yeah, I'm going to ice bucket fidget spin, and then... <laughs> Do a 900. Do a 900, yeah. <laughs> then you're going to get fucking discovered. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, how have you been out there in them Hollywood Hills this week, Steve? Um, Pretty excellent. Uh, not a lot going on the past week. Uh, my wife and I have just been lazily staying in and not doing anything because... That's the you know, best. You know how it is when you get to this time of year? It's like, it's lazy days, man. People say lazy days of summer. I say lazy days of December. I wish I could relate to that. I, I have the busy days of the December. The busy days of December. Oh, man. My God, my God. And it's only going to get even crazier, too. So we've been booking up um, my, my multitude of, of musical activities here lately. Oh, yeah? Yeah, basically, like, this last, you know, upcoming, like, week of Christmas that we got coming here. Uh -huh. Like Chris, Christmas Eve Eve, which is to say the 23rd. Right. Um, I'll be playing with Yacht Rock Extraordinaire's Smooth Sailor. Okay. So that's a show where I'm playing all the Christopher Cross and Holland Oats and all that jazz. Uh-huh. About a three and a half hour show. Sounds awesome. And then the next day is Christmas Eve, which is like my wife's family's, you know, legit Christmas. Yeah. And then we got Christmas Day. And then the day after Christmas... Boxing Day, as it's known. Yeah. We're going to be doing ourselves a big old skank banger 80s hair metal show. Hell yeah. And then we're also apparently playing New Year's Eve as skank banger in Nashville. Holy shit. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, it'd be good to, you know, recoup some of this holiday money we're blowing through and all that jazz. So, it's not a bad thing. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, glad to hear skank bangers catching on. Oh my god, dude! I'm telling you, it's it's taken off like wildfire. For you for you listeners that don't know, Skank Banger is uh, my '80s hair metal cover band uh, that I play in, serving up all the hits from Def Leppard and Poison and White Snake and all that jazz. And uh, <laughs> it's it's ridiculous, dude. We played our first show 
I don't know, it's been about a month or so ago now. And like literally the next morning we had, you know, like a dozen show offers. That's awesome. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. crazy. So it's a lot of fun. People miss hair metal, apparently. Well, that's kind of the funny thing about it, too, though, is like right now, you know, in 2017, like the 80s are cooler than they've been since the 80s. Yeah, they weren't even cool in the 80s. <laughs> like in the 80s, we all, it was it, like every, every, like you're always self-aware about what's going on around you and you think everything's so lame and then when you look back on it it's cool yeah. like in the 80s we were all like thinking oh this is all so lame and stuff and and now we look back on it and we're like nah dude that was dope frogger holy shit man i'll tell you what too like that extends even into like the 90s and the early aughts and stuff where it's like yeah Dude, I remember when all the boy band craze was like really blowing up and everything was like in sync and fucking Backstreet Boys and all that stuff. I was like, man, this is the fucking corniest. This is the worst. Yeah, so stupid. Uh But but then it's like, you know, compared to what's popular now, I'm like, God damn, those boy bands could sing and like put on a show. I'm like, I didn't even (laughs) know how good I had it with that stuff. It's almost like hindsight is 2020, and it's. It's real hard to live in the now and see the future. Do you think that in the 2020 election cycle, anybody is even going to be just so overt to use the hindsight is 2020, you know, like yes. a running campaign? Yes. Okay. There's a there's a man in Alabama uh, right now who may have won, because this, this comes out the 20th, I believe December 19th is the Alabama uh, election. He may Jesus. have won. And, uh, you know, he, he's a, a full-on pedophile. So uh, do I think somebody will be worried about stooping to saying hindsight is twenty twenty? No. <laughs> no, I th- I'm pretty sure somebody will do that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're, you're correct at that point. God, I saw some fucking interview with some guy today talking about, talking about more and talking about how, like, back in the 70s, there was probably tons of parents that would be just overjoyed if... A high-ranking politician was talking to their 15-year-old daughter. Wow, yeah, probably, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. God, dude, the stuff that people will justify if, the if you know, the person on their team is winning. Like, yeah. God, like, I, I really just feel like we need to completely dispose of parties and just let people mm. run as themselves. Fuck yeah. Democrat, fuck Republican. Let people just think for themselves and not just vote based on the fucking tie color, you know? Yeah, I actually want to know what my candidate believes in. I don't want uh, them to just say, yeah, I believe what these guys believe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because they never do. They always end up, <laughs> like, having their own shit where they're making money on the side on the only thing they actually care about, you know, which is more money. But yeah. like they're they're never saying anything. All all they do is like the moment there's an actual issue to deal with, they're like, yeah, but what about abortion, guys? Whatever happened to yeah. prayer in schools? <laughs> they're not gonna take my guns. Yeah, <laughs> the huge. It's like no, but we want to talk about this tax bill. No, no, no. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's interesting because you probably just want to take our guns, right? Yeah, use them them taxes to take your guns. Yeah. <laughs> Thus ends the political rant portion of the show. Well, I, I have to, so we don't have to go back to this. I have to go ahead and say that the name, the writer of, of Black Christmas is Roy Moore. So we don't have to go back and go over Roy Moore again. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Have you been watching anything cool this week, Steve? Oh, not that I can think of. I saw the Army Navy game. That was pretty How's great. That? Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good game. Uh, snowy field, uh, close game. It was fun. Play ball. That's what I said. I said play ball, and they did. They played it. Um, I also watched Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two again. Yeah, uh, watched it with my wife last night. She hadn't seen it. Of course, she loved Baby Groot. Uh, of course, Baby Groot's the best, dude. That opening scene where like they're they're uh-huh. fighting the big huge monster, but the camera is just following Baby yeah, Groot around. Yeah, that's good comedy right there. That's oh, good it's comedy. It's so good, man. Mm-hmm. It's so great. I, I love that. Like I was I was dying laughing. He's like running around and you know eating stuff off the floor, and they have to make him spit it out. That's just like following Attila around the yard, basically. <laughs> yeah. So um, that yeah, that, I mean that movie, it, it probably isn't. Uh, isn't even up in my top 10 favorite uh marvel movies yeah but i don't dislike it i just don't think uh i don't think that everything is cohesive like Mm -hmm. it doesn't all come together and like there there are a lot of sort of cop-out lines and stuff but uh it's fun it's a fun movie so i know what you mean and saying that it's like one of your least favorites is kind of like saying you know, the manicotti is my least favorite thing on the Olive Garden menu. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah, because, yeah, it's Olive Garden. And when you're there, you're family. And, you know, <laughs> apparently you feed family dog food. <laughs> <laughs> and never-ending bread, bread sticks and salad. Yeah, I I remember. I think it was maybe 2007. Yeah, my uh, I I had some Olive Garden, and the immediate whiff off of it was Alpo. Oh, and I've never been able to eat that shit again. Like every oh time God. I smell it, even the breadsticks to me smell like dog food. Oh my god, dude! And everything is just like a complete sodium bomb. Like oh your yeah, joints so aren't much salt. <laughs> Yeah, so bad. They roll you out. Yeah, that like a red lobster. <laughs> red lobster is totally the same deal, man. Deadly, deadly non-food of the American cuisine. <laughs> so we we're past the political portion. That brings us now to the business portion. Let's talk about Bitcoin. It's up. Oh, it's shit. down. What do we do? <laughs> what's what's the deal with this Bitcoin? I do bring this up to my wife every time Bitcoin hits some insane new level. Uh, when it first hit, I think $2, um, I was like, babe, like we should buy some of this Bitcoin. I I mean, I know, you know, it's a risk. Maybe we just buy like a hundred dollars in Bitcoin. She was like, that's a waste of money. If we had bought that, I just want you to understand this. That would be 50 Bitcoins, $19,000 a piece. Fuck me, dude. (laughs) Dude, that's I, I know what you mean. I, I keep seeing it, you know, hitting these higher and higher and higher levels, and I'm like, I just, I don't even want to think about how easy it would have been to buy into that, dude. Yeah, but I mean, you know, there are problems with it. Uh, tons of Bitcoin gets stolen all the time because it's hard to secure, and then also you have the problem that uh, you have to find somebody to buy it for that price. Right. Yeah. 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 It's not just like you can immediately get that return yeah. back on it. Yeah. It's crazy, anyway. man. It's crazy stuff. No more business. That's the end of that. <laughs> On to the pleasure. Now, Steve, this week I watched a couple of different things. What'd you watch? Um, I've been watching some some Christmas flicks. Hell yeah. I watched a movie where 
Tim the Toolman Taylor <laughs> and Lori Strode yeah. had to uh, <laughs> had to fight off their cantankerous neighbors. Yeah. And uh, it's called Christmas with the Cranks. That's right. That is what it's called. It How's was, that um, go for you? It was on and we were mm-hmm. doing other stuff. And it's kind of it's kind of okay when you're doing that. Yeah, I think a lot of holiday movies are made that way. Like they're made yeah. like jingle all the way, stuff like that. Like Oh no, that's I won't hear a bad word about that. Jamie <laughs> Put the cookie down. Yeah. Um tons of holiday movies are are set up so that it's like, well, like we're not paying attention to it. I know this is July. But let's all pretend we're in the Christmas spirit and get this uh, piece of shit made. Yeah. <laughs> and then they do it. And then people watch it, it, like, doing other stuff. And they're like, I think I like that. It's a serviceable movie. It's not It's not wretched. It's not fantastic. Um, I think there's one scene in there that actually kind of makes me laugh a little bit where Tim the Toolman Taylor has gotten some Botox. Uh huh. And, and his face doesn't really work, and he's trying to chew some food. That's pretty funny. Huh. Um, overall, it's just one of those movies to have on. But also, in preparation for the upcoming Star Wars: The Last Jedi, uh huh, we watched the Star War: A Force Awaken. Oh, that's a good Star War. I liked that episode of the Star War. Now, of mm-hmm. course. A lot of people really, 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 really hated it. Really did not like the old Force Awakens. How do you feel about it? It's fine. I mean, it's a fine. It's not like none of the prequels even come close to it. Of course not. Uh, it's, I would say, uh, on par with uh, the sixth one. Whatever was that, Return of the Jedi? Mm-hmm. Um, because Return of the Jedi to me is is pretty lame. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff in it, but there's also a ton of lame shit um and force awakens has interesting story interesting new characters we get to get rid of han solo have uh we ever talked about this i really think we should han solo a dick not a cool character i've never thought han solo was a cool character well i mean he's supposed to be kind of a dick i mean he's a he's a hard ass yeah, people think, like, that's cool, but, like, would you want to hang out with that guy for even half a second? Probably not. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I probably don't want to chill with him. Yeah, so, you know, uh, what happens to him in Force Awakens? Spoiler for a movie that's been out for a very long time. Uh, <laughs> Han Solo dies. What happens to him? I'm like, I'm like, good, we're leaving that behind. Um... I guess Poe Dameron's supposed to be our kind of Han Solo-esque character, but he's nowhere... He's not a dick. He's much more likable, yeah. Yeah. Like, like people... Okay, think about this. Han Solo, he's he is not a rebel fighter. Like, he mm-hmm. fights for the rebellion because he seems to have to and then finally joins in at the end because he wants to because, you know, he's into the princess. But, mm-hmm. like... He only does it because he has to. He's fine with dealing with, uh, you know, either side. Doesn't care what happens to anyone. Doesn't care that entire planets are being destroyed, etc. He doesn't care about that shit. None of that matters to him. If I had a friend like that, I'd be like, you're a dickhole, dude. Like, (laughs) what the fuck is wrong with you? Alderaan was destroyed. And you're like, yeah, maybe I'll help you. I don't know. Maybe he's a sociopath. He's a real shit. Um, but yeah, I, I liked uh, 
I liked Ray a lot. I, I think yeah. uh, having uh, a strong female lead who is a Jedi, but who also doesn't like she has. She seems to have this backstory that we don't know. Like she catches on to things a bit quicker than uh, Luke did. Luke, sure. of course, was like if you look back at, at Luke in um, episode New four, Hope. New Hope, he's um, he's really naive and kind of dumb, and then yeah, very whiny. And, yeah, and then in um, Empire Strikes Back, he's still kind of. Like, you know, he's not good at being trained by Yoda. He keeps getting distracted. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think people wanted Ray to be like that. So, like, they're like, they're mad because Ray gets things quickly. She seems to understand. <laughs> so they're like, like, but that's not exactly like the one that they made before. Well, She's yeah. Good at the job. This sucks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But everybody's cool with the fact that Darth Vader just got everything immediately. Well, that's I guess, a strong point. Yeah, I guess people don't love the prequels, but nobody's complaining that Anakin seemed to catch on. I mean, yeah, uh, there are a lot of problems with the prequels. Oh God, yes. But that's again the point is the Force Awakens is far better than the prequels. I think Revenge of the Sith has some redeeming moments, and I like yeah. some of the battle scenes from Attack of the Clones. I don't, I don't like anything from the first episode at all like no, i don't think it's anything awful. good yeah but the force awakens has so much awesomeness in it what, what what's your favorite part about it ben let's see what would be my what would be my favorite part about it i would probably just say the character of ray i really enjoy the character of ray and i also really enjoy seeing um poe and finn's interactions with each other because yeah. i think they're super fun and super cool yeah on screen uh together i think those two actors have great chemistry yeah, I I hope they actually don't drive Ray and Finn together as a couple. I think they kept like showing us they're not going to do that in the Force Awakens. Like each time he would grab her hand and try to run with her, and she'd be like, "Let go of my hand!" Like, yeah, she's yeah, not interested in this. She's got other shit going on, and like they just met randomly. They're gonna fall in love all of a sudden. So I, right. I hope they don't push that. But it would we be do. cool with me if they had a Poe Dameron and Finn love thing I dude that's what kate is calling that. for kate is so rooting for that she's like oh my god please that would be awesome make make this uh this biracial gay couple in star wars and just piss the <laughs> whole world off yeah i would love that i mean i wouldn't I, i'd be fucking fine with that that's fine by me dude anybody I listening to this episode who's already seen the new uh star war will probably be saying to us how did they know? Because <laughs> that scene where they 69 was the jam. <laughs> yeah, a 14-minute 69 scene. <laughs> you know, I can understand people hating on um, on Force Awakens. It really did very closely ride the beats of New Hope. I mean, yeah. really, really fucking close. I mean, a little too close. Like, did you have to have them bomb a little hole in, in the fucking... Uh, what's the star destroyer thing the uh, star killer base yeah uh-huh. you know it's like did they have to bomb a little thing that was on a little shaft like god it's close man yeah it's so it's so yeah. on the nose sometimes it gets too close but we do i mean we do have to realize that a new hope is so very close to campbell's like uh hero myth sure, sure <laughs> so sure. like it, it's following the same uh story structure that the first one does 
but so many movies do. Oh yeah, absolutely but but so. there is a genuine complaint about how some of it is just so similar for sure. But I can understand that to an extent, even because, you know, Abrams was not only tasked with making a new Star Wars movie, but he was also tasked with making people believe in Star Wars again. Because yeah. those prequels just dry dicked us all so hard because they were mm. fucking dog shit, you know. Well, you know, so, you're not interested in uh, talking about uh, trade organizations and, and <laughs> kids Senate loved order. it. Yeah, kids love that. Dude, why shit. mix that stuff up with like all this silly kid shit like Jar Jar and all this? I just, god damn, what were they thinking with those movies? But I can understand, you know, why J.J. did what he did with following the beats of the original so closely. It's because yeah. he had to reinstill the faith. And, you know, then, of course, we got Rogue One, which is a very big departure from the traditional oh, yeah. Star Wars universe. I fucking love Rogue, personally. Yeah, I hope the, I hope they keep making these big departures. I hope the Han Solo movie is a big departure from... Yeah. I want, like... I I would rather have that Star Wars expanded universe just like you have with uh, the Marvel universe. I'd rather have that and see different movies each time with different points of view and different types of storytelling than to just see, you know, uh, <laughs> New Hope made over and over and over again. <laughs> yep, totally agreed, man. But hopefully now that, you know... JJ did go out and make a movie that most all of us really did enjoy and you know brought faith and interest back in the Star Wars series. Maybe now they can start guiding it more in different directions and people will be accepting of it because everybody's back on board now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, Ben, just to uh, let everyone know that I am a much bigger fan of Star Trek than I ever have been of Star Wars. Nerd. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm a nerd, yes. <laughs> I, <laughs> and I think we should beat up nerds. I think we need to get yeah. back to that, right? Uh. Next time I see you, I'm giving you a fucking swirly. And I deserve it. I deserve yeah. it. I'll take Boys. a I'll take a puff off my asthma inhaler and then I'll go play risk with my friends. Uh, <laughs> before I drop in and give you all Indian burns. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> wait, wait. Native American burns. Oh, sorry, yeah. Sorry. You know what? Though, I mean, think about this. Dalsim gave Indian burns. <laughs> so, yoga flame. Yoga flame. <laughs> oh, man. Old video game characters were so racist. <laughs> yes, they super are. Um, so, news just came out recently that uh, Quentin Tarantino is going to be doing a Star Trek movie. I heard about this. What a strange, strange turn of events. Because the last thing that yeah. I heard was Quentin saying that he thought he just had like maybe one or two movies left in him and that he was really wanting to do a horror movie. And I was like, That would be awesome. Yes. Oh Hell my yeah. God. I want that so bad. But yeah, then yeah, it just came out. R-rated Star Trek. I okay, so here's the thing about Star Trek. <laughs> um the newer movies, the JJ Abrams Star Trek movies, they're uh they're fine movies. Yeah. They're very upsetting from a Star Trek point of view, from a, that's, a fan. That's what Trekkies have told me. Like, I've yeah. never been a Trek guy, so I watched them and I was like, these remind me of Star Wars, so I kind of well, like them. Well, I, I can divorce the two. I can I can watch the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies okay. and be like, that's fine. Uh, I, you know, I'm glad that they made it an alter, alternate universe and, and just did that instead of destroying 
the the actual cool deep uh lore in star trek uh Mm -hmm. there's so much more going on with star trek just just start watching star trek the next generation and it will blow your mind how first off they were able to do that in the 90s they were able to make this show that was episodic but also had these long arch like uh long arcs and a lot of character development and stuff like that and also how the conflicts in the show are very often solved diplomatically Hmm. they don't by blaster fire yeah they don't all end in just shooting the shit out of each other and rarely when they end in shooting the shit out of each other do they shoot the shit out of each other until they're completely destroyed it's always about trying to be diplomatic and trying to you know keep this strong ideal of all life is sacred and things like that so it's got this real weird vibe to it as a show which is why i understand that people have trouble um really getting into it like i think there's a particular mindset that that likes star trek well because i think some people see sci-fi you know going through space and they're like space exploration and battles and droids and blaster Mm -hmm. fire and stuff and then there's the more uh, from what I understand, you know, traditional Trekkie perspective, it's like, no, yeah. it's about exploring and yeah. deep introspective thoughts about these different cultures and creatures and all this kind of jazz, right? Oh, yeah. A lot of great stuff there. So I'm wondering if Quentin Tarantino is going to do something more like that. If he's going to Surely, take yeah. his uh, his filmmaking style and and try to revolutionize the way these big budget movies are done maybe something kind of like what uh was done with dune by uh david lynch right yeah i'm wondering if he's gonna do that and you know still throw in his you know uh sense of humor and his way of telling stories that is very unique to him I don't know though. Like when I heard about it, I immediately was like, I don't know how that's gonna be good. Yeah, me too. Because I'm like, how are they gonna fit like surf rock into into outer space and so on? <laughs> well, they you fit know? Beastie Boys into every single one of the Star Wars. Uh, that's a great previews. point. That's yeah. a great point. Yeah, it's very very true, man. I'll be very interested to see that, man. And I'm I'm wondering. I mean, the fact that they're already saying R-rated, it's like, is there a script floating around, and we know that it's like gruesome or vulgar or what? You know, I don't know. Like, I I trust Quentin Tarantino. I don't necessarily trust the people who make all of the decisions surrounding a Star Wars or a Star Trek movie. Mm-hmm. So, like, they must have offered him an extreme amount of control to get him to to come and do it. Yeah, surely. So it'll be interesting first- to see. I mean, obviously, if Quentin Tarantino is going to make it, it's going to end up R-rated. So maybe they're just assuming. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. what else would he do? Yeah. That's cool, man. Are you going to go see um, Last Jedi when it comes out? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Tight. You excited about it? Uh, Whatever. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm fine with it. <laughs> like, I'm not I'm not mad at it. It's it's not as exciting to me as some other movies, but it's I definitely am going to go see it. I've kind of kept myself from watching too many previews of it just because I want to go in and be like surprised. Yeah, I haven't watched a single one. I don't. I don't have any idea what what to expect. 
I watched like the first, I think like one or two trailers, but I think I just watched them like once, you know, just to yeah. deliberately not, you know, over overthink it. I saw a picture of the Porgs. <laughs> That's it. Oh yeah, yeah, it's got the little dudes, huh? Yeah, it does. That's I'm slightly fu- worrisome. Eh, whatever. I'm fine with that. They were Ewoks. They yeah, still have. They still have that uh, BB-8. I mean, BB-8's. Uh, uh, what is it? it? It makes cute little noises and yeah. is sort of like R2D2, except it makes less sense that <laughs> it can roll around everywhere and like, how does it stop? I, I think hmm. Neil deGrasse Tyson asked this question. Like, if it were rolling around in, in sand like that, how does it stop? Um, it doesn't seem to have any track or anything. Okay, I It's got just you. a smooth ball. It would just keep rolling down the hill. It seems like it would just kind of skid to a halt, huh? Yeah. <laughs> huh. Okay. Uh, moving on. Moving yeah, on. Don't, that's don't it. fucking ruin my movies. So enough of that bullshit. Let's talk about Christmas movies. Krimbus. So this is going to be um, our very first special Christmas episode where we're going to be celebrating the wonderful time of year that we celebrate the birth of the Christ child. Oh, okay. Now, hold on. I am going to do a 40-minute reading of Luke. Okay. (sighs) Let's start. (sighs) And done. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> edited. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed it. Wait, edited? What? I just read all of that. Anyway. Uh, we're going to be talking about Black Christmas today, the original, not the not the remake. The original, which came out in, what, 74? Is that right? Yeah, October 11th, 1974. Ten days after Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Wow, man. Wow, that's a double whammy if I've ever seen it. That is have a you ever whammy. Seen the, the remake? Of Black Christmas? I have not. Yeah. I've heard it's terrible. I believe that. I don't know why you would remake it. How would it? Because <laughs> remakes of horror movies are usually better than the originals. Yeah, yeah, they are. That's true. That's how that works. <laughs> so, in order to uh, to celebrate uh, our our wonderful Christmas time of year, me and Steve here, we're gonna take a second before we start cracking down on Black Christmas. We're gonna give you a rundown of our top ten favorite Crimbus movies. Hell yeah! Now this was this was hard to whittle down. I found. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, this easily could have been a top twenty because I love me some Christmas movies. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, I am a, a sentimental seasonal bastard. I do too, and I also love Christmas horror movies, as I've said a few times before. And mm-hmm. I I I willed myself to only put one on the list. So. Right on, man. Why Here don't you kick us off with your your number five? These are in no particular order. No particular order, but I will start with the horror movie Rare Exports. Okay, I don't know what that is. Rare Exports is fucking awesome. It is a Finnish movie. It's a mm-hmm. horror comedy, I would say. It's got some real gruesome shit. It's got some real uh, funny shit, some heartwarming stuff. Just, like, really interesting movie. Basically, the idea is that uh, Santa Claus is real and uh he controls a bunch of elves that are basically the guys that you would you know see that look kind of like santa claus um i don't know how to put it other than that i i know everything i'm saying right now doesn't do any sort of justice to how awesome this movie is i would say it's got it's got some elements maybe of uh 
a Christmas story a little, maybe. Okay. But also, I would say a little Napoleon Dynamite-ish at times. <laughs> oh, shit. It's, it's a real... Made? Oh, gosh. 2007, 2008. Okay. I'm not positive on that. But it's so good. Just watch it. Try to figure out how you feel about it. I had, I had so much trouble trying to describe it like when I was thinking of, of this list because I can't think of anything that it's closely related to. Yeah, yeah. Which is awesome. I mean, it's yeah. awesome to not only get a, a horror movie that I can't think of anything that's closely related to it, but it's also a Christmas movie. Yeah, rad, so, dude. Rare exports. I'll definitely have to try to find that. Yeah, check it out. So what's uh, first on your list, Ben? I'm going to dump a little a little Will, Will Ferrell classic yeah. action on here and give you an elf. Elf. Which I enjoy so much. It's a fun one. And uh, love Zoe Deschanel. I love... Uh, I really love the snowball scene, even though it's just like, like the humor of it is just a kid's movie humor. But whenever I see it, I'm always like, huh, that's funny. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. It just hits me. But the best part of it is, of course, uh, Bob Newhart and the uh, and the stop motion animation. stuff. Absolutely, man. The the snowman voiced by fucking Leon, Re- Leon Redbone. Yeah, Leon the Redbone. Best. The best, dude. The stop motion, I think I mentioned this long ago, but done by the guys who did Killer Clowns from Outer Space. No shit, the Chiodos? Yeah. I had no idea. That's fucking rad, man. Uh-huh. I think the only thing about Elf that I dislike is that I think this is when we started encouraging Zoe Deschanel to sing. <laughs> you don't like <laughs> Zoe Deschanel's voice? No. Okay. No. She's got that fucking bubble voice. She's got that... <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, pop that bubble out of your throat, girl. Oh, man. I don't okay. like that. I, I get what you're saying. Actually, that immediately <sighs> hit when you said bubble voice. I was like, yep, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, I do, I like it, though. I like her. I think she, I think I like her voice. And I like the, I like the look of Elf. I love the soundtrack. The soundtrack to Elf is fucking yeah. great. That's just a good holiday listen and stuff right there, too. Yeah. So it's one of those ones that I, I watch usually at least once every year. Huge fan of that flick. Yeah, that's a real good one. Um, and was on my list. I had to I had to whittle this down again. I think I had fifteen to, to twenty movies on my list. Wow. Um I'm gonna next say How the Grinch Stole Christmas. The original one? Yeah, I, I limited myself to one animated movie. Uh, I would have maybe said Mickey's Christmas Carol here, but I really mm. love the original How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I love everything about it the animation is fucking amazing mm-hmm. uh yeah. this the songs all so awesome they all stick right in your head it's so awesome such a great and fun movie for for families like it, it really i guess as a kid like i was always more attracted to a little offbeat stuff and i i don't think how the grinch stole christmas is that offbeat but it's not it does have a monster in it. Like, yeah. as, as far as, like, Christmas stuff goes, you don't normally deal with a guy who is trying to uh, rob all of these people of their joy. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. And that's the main character, no less. And that's the main character. That's the guy we watch. And, and he he learns to love, I guess. Like, he learns to not... But, I mean, if you really look into it, the story sort of falls apart because... The Who's kicked him out. <laughs> like, they kicked him out of the town and kind of made him into that cantankerous old piece of shit. So, 
I don't know. <laughs> Conspiracy at foot here. Yeah. I grew up a huge Dr. Seuss fan as a kid, man. I was yeah. I was all all about yeah, that. Yeah, I was stuff, always man. a big fan, Dr. Seuss. Yeah, definitely so. So that's that's a good choice, man. And there's some good funny stuff in there too. The uh, uh-huh. there's some like some stuff in, in Dr. Seuss's humor that was so like oddly specific that it always made me laugh. Like that part in, you know, uh, you're mean on Mr. Grant where he says, I wouldn't touch you with a 39 and a half foot pole. <laughs> How specific that is, has always made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, I, that's one of the best songs by far. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a good choice, yeah, What about so, the, the Jim Carrey live action? How do you feel about that? Well, I, you know, I don't think I've ever sat down and watched it all. I, I think I saw the scenes where he's pretending to be Ron Howard. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is... <laughs> This has kind of gotten away from the original <laughs> spirit, I think. It's weird, and it's it's so long. Like it's one of those yeah. ones I remember feeling like this is lasting like an hour longer than it should. Yeah, that sounds about right. So, what's next on your list, Ben? I'm gonna toss you a little flick that we were just talking about last week on the on the Dead and Lovely program. Here, I'm gonna talk about a little Home Alone. Hell yeah! Because it's just fucking fantastic. It is one of the most Christmassy movies of all time for a myriad of different reasons. And honestly, like, I think that I'm going to say like 80 to 90% of the Christmas magic of Home Alone is that motherfucking soundtrack. Yeah, it is really good. It's pure magic. It's total magic, dude. It's like, even if you hate the movie and stuff, you could still just like accept that soundtrack as just like a new Christmas classic because it's right. so fucking magical sounding. So I really think that's a huge thing. And also, too, like, have you ever noticed how the McAllister's house, like, literally everything in it is red and white and green? No. Dude. Okay. See, I hadn't noticed this until probably about two or three years ago when I think. Wait, this it is might- a Chris Columbus movie, isn't it? Isn't Home yeah. Alone Christopher Columbus? Okay, yeah. Yep. He does that a lot. I never thought I never noticed it though. I hadn't noticed it either until I think it was like in um you know, like a special feature or something like that. They were talking about it. But dude, next time you watch it, it's gonna be mm-hmm. the most glaringly obvious thing in the world. It's yeah. the kind of thing where it's like, you know, the wallpaper will be white with green and red designs on it. Their kitchen has like green tile and they have red pots. Like mm-hmm. every fucking shot inside of that house has red and green in it that's insane <laughs> yeah it, it's like and, and it's funny too because it's so subliminal um, yeah because like you said you hadn't noticed it i hadn't noticed it until somebody pointed it out to me and now it's like all that i see but it's like it really does make the whole thing feel so much more christmasy in so many ways that plus that soundtrack is yeah there's definitely nothing you know uh seasonally joyous about a about a kid you know Violently destroying two adults. <laughs> <laughs> Keep the change, you filthy animal. Oh man, yeah. Dude. So I, I can't help it. I do love it, man. It's an enjoyable holiday flick. It is. It's a real good one. Um, well, I, <laughs> I went back and forth on which Tim Burton movie to include here. Okay. But I went with Batman Returns. Uh, Nightmare nice. Before Christmas. <laughs> Nightmare Before Christmas, we've talked about uh, a bunch, uh, I think, in the past few months, maybe. Yeah. But I think Batman Returns is a better Christmas movie as far as that goes, because Nightmare Before Christmas has some Christmas elements to it, but it seems to be more about Halloween. 
but there's so much Christmas in Batman Returns. It's true, and I always forget about that. Yeah, it's awesome. I really love it. I love how fucking weird that movie is, how Danny DeVito is just disgusting. Oh my god, dude, yes. I don't know if you know this, but basically McDonald's got Tim Burton fired off the Batman movies after Batman Returns because there was a huge deal between Warner Brothers and and McDonald's. And whenever they came to make the toys for Batman Returns, they were like, what the fuck do we do with this man with (laughs) flippers and like brown and green and, and, and black shit just coming off the corners of his lips. Like, yeah. how do we turn that into... And then you got, you know, sexy-ass Michelle Pfeiffer. Like, you know, how like do you make gear. this... Yeah, like... <laughs> but it's so good. It's so good. And, you know, the Penguin's dad is Pee Wee Herman, so that's always fun. Yeah, that's true, too. I, when you started saying Tim Burton, I was thinking you were going to pull out an Edward Scissorhands on me. Edward Scissorhands, also a good winter movie, like Christmassy movie, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Tim Burton's got a thing for that. Hey, uh, listen, I get it, because Christmas has that, like, light and and fun feeling to it, and that's what he does. He does light and fun, like, but dark. He does a yeah. dark version of light and fun. That's his thing. So Christmas is perfect for that. No doubt, man. That's a good call. Batman Returns, man. It's been so long since I've watched that that like that wasn't even on my radar as a Christmassy movie. But mm-hmm. you're right. There's a whole bunch of Christmas in there. Yeah, it's awesome. So what's Strong next call. on your list? So I'm gonna give you a a romantic comedy to beat all romantic comedies. Oh no. I'm talking about a motherfucking love actually. Okay, listen, Ben, that was on my list too. And yeah. let's just let's just go ahead and say a big fuck you if you got a problem with it because Love mm-hmm. Actually, uh, despite the uh, creepiness of the storyline with Rick from The Walking Dead, yes. uh, aside from the fact that a kid runs through uh, the uh, airport straight through stuff, security yeah. not long after 9-11, yeah. uh, all that, <laughs> despite the fact that they're, you know, Colin Firth ends up you know, with his Portuguese <laughs> made, and Which they can't the even talk to each other. Uh, despite the fact that all that is kind of weird and creepy, it's so fucking good. And my favorite portion is the Hugh Grant portion because I love the the girl who plays his love interest. She is oh, so man. good, and she's so adorable too. Yeah. She's like, I just knew I was gonna go and cock it up. Oh no, now I've said shit again and all that stuff. She's so and, good, man. And Billy Bob Thornton plays. Uh, a president that I think is supposed to be like Bill Clinton, but he comes off more like Donald Trump. Now that you, if you watch it again, it's like, wait, what? How did Strangely, he know? Strangely, like super predictive. Yeah. Maybe Donald Trump watched Love Action. He's like, that's a president right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good, man. And I'll tell you too, like I'll never forget whenever we saw that in the theaters because that came out in 2003. Which is when, that's when Kate was living in New York going to school up there, you know? Uh-huh. And myself and old Flat Earth Mitch Trueblood, uh, <laughs> we had we had gone up to see her for uh, Thanksgiving. And we were going to, you know, stay a couple days after that, too, in the Christmas season there in New York City. And so it was like a day or two after Thanksgiving. We were like, oh, let's, let's all go out and see Love Actually. So, you know, we went out and we went to some, like, super, super big-ass, you know, movie theater in Manhattan. And... Movie theaters over there are just fucking gigantic. Like there are yeah. hundreds, there are hundreds of people, and it was like 
you know, packed yeah. to the gills. Yeah. And I'll never, I'll never forget. It was like one of the most New York things ever. So it was, um, it was going through the previews and stuff. And there was some lady in the theater that was like on her cell phone and she was talking real loud. Like she uh-huh. was just talking like she owned the fucking theater and everybody kind of dealt with it, you know, through the, through the credits and stuff. Yeah. But but then it's like as soon as the uh or I'm sorry, dealt with it through the previews and stuff. Uh-huh. But as soon as the credits for the movie started, she's still like blabbing on her phone. This guy, dude, in just the most like resonant, booming, fucking uh-huh. big ass Yankee New York accent. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like he was like a cab driver or something. Uh-huh. He just goes Lady, get off of the fucking phone! And the whole theater goes, yeah! <laughs> like it was like New York, like you fucking read about. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, there, it was yeah. awesome. That I mean, there is a lot to love about New York. New York's not um, the type of place that I necessarily want to live. I've mm-hmm. I've loved visiting it, but like I do love that about New York is just the confrontational nature. I'm yeah. uh, I'm big on confrontation. I think it's great. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> it's a good place to go to get some of that for sure. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I love that movie though, and it's like it's one of those deals where they are totally, totally, totally just tugging at every possible heartstring, and even making yeah. it set at Christmas pretty mm-hmm. unnecessary, honestly. Other than Absolutely. the fact that it's going to make your heart swell even more. And and the uh, totally made up idea that at Christmas you tell the truth. What? Who's <laughs> ever said when. that? When have you ever heard someone say, well, it's Christmas, you have to tell the truth? That's not true at all, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great one. What's next on your list, Steve? Um, well, the next one on my list is a very special movie, and we might talk about it a little bit more later. Mm. It's a movie called Die Hard. Die Hard with a Bruce Willis. This is the theme to Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> See again, there's you being the musical one again. Yeah, well, I did. I did a parody of Al Weird Al Yankovic's Spy Hard theme. <laughs> <laughs> Which is take so that, good. Weird Al. What's up now? <laughs> Parodied you. Oh, man, I love Die Hard. And if you don't think that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, you can go fuck yourself. Yeah, it's an absolute Christmas movie. It's so awesome. It's at it, the entire premise is that it's a Christmas party. Come on, guys. At um, Nakatomi Plaza. Yeah. <laughs> Die Hard is one of those movies that, um, surprisingly, somehow, I did not see it as a ute. I didn't either. I did. I only saw that, like, into mm-hmm. my teens. Like, I saw Leith- I saw so many action movies. 48 Hours, Lethal Weapon, Beverly Hills Cop. Like, I saw all of the that stuff back then, but I never saw Die Hard. And then... Um, you know, it's one of those scripts that is considered like almost a perfect script. Yeah. So when yeah, I first tight. got, yeah, when I first got into screenwriting, I was like, okay, well, like, <laughs> I need to see this movie. Um, so I sat down and watched the movie, and I was like, yeah, like, okay, yes, like this movie is so insanely weirdly perfect. Like, yeah. Everything about it could be nitpicked, but the nitpick would come down to preference. Yeah, exactly, Everything yeah. about the way the story and the characters develop is... It's great. It's perfect. It's exactly what you want. 
so you can, you know, you can get married or get mad that there are, you know, two agents named Johnson or like you can get mad about what bearer bonds are and who the hell fucking knows what they are. <laughs> like you can get mad about certain things like why the, they went to uh, uh, a huge tower in Beverly Hills. Like, well, I don't know. That's weird. But there but it's all preference. You're only getting upset because you would prefer it to be different. Not because there's anything necessarily wrong with it. Yeah, yeah, not not that that's a bad idea to do in a movie or something. And it's a fun fucking movie, like. <laughs> yep, and great balance of humor and action the whole yeah. time too. And Bruce Willis is great at that. He's great at balancing humor and and action, which is insane because you read any interviews with him and stuff, and you find out that like he's a weird dude. <laughs> like, yeah, apparently quite a bit of an asshole too. Yeah, he can be apparently. Uh, Kevin Smith says that at least. For yeah. sure, uh, that he can be quite an asshole. So, like, it's weird, but you see him on screen, and he's just, like, magnetic. He's very charismatic. He seems to always have, like, like he has that stony face, but there's always humor underneath it somehow. Like, I don't know mm -hmm. how he does that. Same in Pulp Fiction, too. Yeah, exactly. Or um, Fifth Element, or a, a ton Shit, of movies. Yeah. ton of movies he's in where he just has that, like, there's comedy to him. It's in there, and it comes out. He makes it come out somehow without doing much. It's, I I enjoy it. I, I'm a big fan of Die Hard. And plus, too, what other movie are you gonna see Severus Snape and Officer Carl Winslow in? Hell yes, Officer <laughs> Carl Winslow shows up. Severus Snape, and as I've said before, I think it would be best if if we could create movies where you just. You take the plot of a movie, but you plop yeah. in a character that the actor played before. So if we, if he was Severus Snape robbing Nakatomi Tower of Bear Bonds, and Officer Carl Winslow was out there, and he was like, "Now Snape, you get out of my damn house!" Like <laughs> treating him like Steve Urkel, obviously, because he's a nerd. He's Snape. Yeah, I would be very on board with that. Yeah, Die Hard Rules, man. That's a great one. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk about that again sometime. I don't know. Maybe we will. What you got next, Ben? Next, I'm going to dump on you my favorite iteration of the immortal classic Christmas Carol story that we all know, Ghost of Christmas Past and Present and Scrooge and all that jazz. Hell yeah. My, of course, there are many, many, many versions of it. Yeah. Um, I would be a fool not to mention the, the George, C, George C. Scott version and, of course, Scrooge with Bill Murray. Mm -hmm. uh, but my favorite, my favorite has got to be them damn Muppets Christmas Carol. Hell yeah. That's a good one. It's just pure fucking childhood magic. That's one of those that's been with me my whole life cycle. So I watch that and I feel like I'm just a child again on the wings of the first fallen snow. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, it's about like that. Yeah, I, I'm a Muppet fan, and uh, that is my second favorite Christmas Carol iteration. My first would, of course, be Ebenezer Scrooge and Hot Rod. <laughs> a cooked goose for everyone. Yeah, that's seriously one of the funniest things that I've... Because it's a non sequitur, and a lot of times people say non sequiturs are too easy. Like, it's very easy comedy, but, like, that comes both out of nowhere and fits perfectly in that scene that I every time I see that I'm like yes it's absolutely yeah Ebenezer Scrooge would show up with a cooked goose for everyone like hanging obviously. out of a bus 
that's one of the hardest laughs I've ever had in a theater ever. Yeah. Just I, I will say also, just overall, Hot Rod, probably uh-huh. the hardest I've ever laughed in a theater. I don't know if I've mentioned it, but you can see me and my wife in Popstar. Oh, yeah. I think you told me about that one time. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we said it on the show. Yeah, I'll have to post a screenshot so everybody can see. And you'll just have to believe me. It's definitely us. It's our backs. Nice. <laughs> That's badass. I'd recognize them backs anywhere. Hell yeah. That's tight. But I, I do love them up at Christmas Carol, yeah, man. Yeah, it's it so does, good. It does capture everything from, of course, the original tale with scrooge and all the ghosts and all that stuff it's got some it's got some spooky elements in there it's got some good creepy stuff as any version of the story should um some well-placed humor mainly coming from our our narration team old rizzo there and uh (laughs) some good songs and stuff too there's some good musical bits in there yeah i i would say like i don't know would what was the last great Muppets movie? Would it be that or Muppets Take Manhattan or like what? Um, that one Muppet Treasure Island is okay. Muppet Treasure Island's okay, yeah. Tim Curry, I mean Tim Curry just brings yeah. it down in that. That's probably the last really good one I would say is Treasure Island. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't even seen the newer ones, but I've heard not great things. That's sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not really the. They're not really the same now, unless you count the um that kind of Muppet reboot that we had about six years ago that was just, uh, was it just called the Muppet movie? Oh, yeah, yeah. Is that Jason Siegel and Exactly. Because that, oh, okay. I fucking loved. I loved that movie. I thought that okay. was really good. The the one that followed that with, with Tina Fey and stuff was actually uh-huh. not very good. Okay. Okay. So the Jason Siegel one, pretty good. Oh, dude, I, th- I think it's fucking fantastic. I really, Art. really, really enjoy it very much. But yeah. I do love that Muppet Christmas Carol. What is your favorite iteration of the Christmas Carol story? Uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol. I think yeah, it's, it's so it's, good. Yeah, it just stuck with me so long, and like, it it genuinely scares me. Like, I I know that yeah. the uh, it doesn't now, but like as a as a kid, it really did. The goofy scene is supposed to be really like funny, but. It scared me as a child. I was like, what the hell is going on? Why is Goofy a ghost? Yeah. Why is he having all these problems? I'm so scared. And then you get, um, what's his name? I don't remember the name of the character who plays Death, but he's like, you know, Goofy's nemesis. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He was genuinely scary to me when I was little. Tight. Tight, yeah. man. That's a hell good one. yeah. What's the last one on your list here, Steve? Man, the last one on my list... And the transition into the movie we're doing today. Oh, shit. Should I dump mine out first, then? Oh, shit. Yeah. Hell, you got another one. Go. Since you got, since you got the transition going on and all. Oh, reverse, reverse. <laughs> backpedaling, backpedaling. Uh-huh. Well, I'll, to save your great transition, I'll just go ahead and, and tell you. Last one on my list, motherfucking Christmas Vacation. Motherfucking Christmas Vacation. Because it's the best Christmas mm-hmm. Vacation. <laughs> It's got everything. Full of laughs, year and year round. You got old Randy Quaid being crazy. You got Chevy Chase being on pills, probably. Probably, yeah, probably being an asshole and on pills. You got a, <laughs> you got a young uh, Jewy Louis Dreyfus being yep. all waspy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. If you don't like that movie, you can go fuck yourself. It's, it's one of those ones that I've found that it seems like pretty much everybody thinks is funny from generation to generation to generation you know yeah i mean it's uh it just has the type of jokes that that fit christmas like i mean i'm I'm sure in 
maybe 40 50 years like all of those traditions will kind of be out the window and maybe people will be like i don't i don't get this movie but it's still the same like there's the humor is in the tradition and the tradition helps the humor to to keep going for generations Mm -hmm. it's a classic i'll never get tired of that one i always watch it at least once but usually more like two to three times every crimbus year holy hell well that's a that's quite a crimbus you got it is it is now what's this uh what's this last item that you've got you've got my appetite whetted now oh man man you just wait you are gonna you're gonna you're gonna get this into your mind and you're gonna open it up you're gonna be like fragile must be italian (laughs) that's right it's a christmas story crimbus story a crimbus story that's a strong one it is it's it's ralphie it's uh it's red rider bb gun it's uh goddamn uh be sure to drink your ovaltine mm-hmm. it's all that wonderfulness a fuck. christmas story fuck. yeah it's so fucking <laughs> funny it is so perfect like i remember as a child loving it now as an adult getting it like as a child i loved it but as an adult i'm like yes that was childhood that was like even though his childhood in the movie is the 50s like it's still the same shit like yeah exactly what i was saying about uh you know christmas vacation is that the traditions make the humor persist like it continues to be funny because the traditions continue Mm -hmm. um but also why this is relevant it was directed by bob clark who motherfucking directed black christmas and porkies and porkies <laughs> which i've never seen i've never seen porkies before i saw it as a young man i believe there are uh boobs in it and i heard there's uh, butts and boobs there are butts and boobs and uh any of our female listeners go ahead and cover your ears we know you can't handle this type of thing Lord but i believe mercy. i believe the central premise of it is sex <gasps> oh, it shan't yeah. be it shan't um he also directed now i i want to give bob clark a ton of credit because i think he does great with this movie i think he did great with the christmas story i don't remember porkies but i also have to point out that the man is responsible for directing rhinestone and both of the baby geniuses movies okay rhinestone with fucking stallone right stallone and dolly parton love dolly parton but that movie's terrible Dude, still, uh, it's so ridiculous that it's watchable. Well, that's exactly what he he played on. Bob Clark has <laughs> he has a lot of those movies that it's like, well, the 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 funniness is the camp, but like yeah. he he knows what he's doing. That's my problem now. Like as an adult looking back and seeing Black Christmas and a Christmas Story, and then seeing a campy movie by him, it's like, well, it's it's only fun for me if the camp is like the guy has no idea. Like the the writer, she she just didn't know that what she wrote was insanely like oversimplistic, but also impossible to understand. Like, yeah, that's what I want out of my camp. So knowing that he is he is a talented director, and then seeing that, it's just like, well, you could have made this a good movie because this is dolly parton you know maybe that's it dolly parton is semi-sacred to me and i feel like that movie didn't do her justice there you go that's that's pretty respectfully put yeah well you know when you put it out there though that he 
you know, I've never seen a baby genius, but I assume it is it is no baby, yeah, incredible piece of film. Baby Geniuses Two is considered by some to be the worst movie ever made. Jesus Christ! But you know, even if you just look at at Christmas Story and Black Christmas and Porky's, those are three drastically different movies. Oh yeah, um, they're wildly I mean, different. Yeah, yeah, and it's like I would say Christmas Story. I, and I, I might be way off off base with this. That had to be one of the first, like, you know, kind of semi raunchy family comedies about Christmas and dealing with family at Christmas and shit like yes. that. That wasn't just yeah, like a cornball cheesy, you know, sweet yeah. Christmas flick. It had to be one of the first. And then Black Christmas, in so many ways, is like the first fucking slasher movie, which yeah. is kind of mind blowing. And then Porky's. You know, that came out in, what, the late 70s, early 80s, right? Yeah, and it, it created the raunchy teen comedy. So this Yeah, du- exactly. This dude knows what he's doing. He's obviously talented. Like, uh, just watching this movie, you see some of the shots he gets with, obviously, like, low-quality film and maybe not the best cameras, but he still gets some really great shots. Like, he still turns oh, yeah. it into yeah. to good. Like, you know, watch it, watching this... This movie is definitely influenced by Giallo. Watching this and comparing it to, say, a Dar- Dario Argento's Bird with the Crystal Plumage came out the yeah. year before this. Seeing Dario Argento's shots and seeing, you know, the way he deals with crystal and the dark and the bright uh-huh. red blood and stuff is it looks so much more beautiful than Bob Clark's. But that's only because Bob Clark didn't have the equipment. Yeah, as exactly. far as I can see. That that's a that's an interesting point because I I thought the same thing in a lot of ways watching this flick. I I wonder how influenced by Giallo stuff it was because even you know the central premise of this movie is being this sort of unseen killer who we never see. We just see, you know, the killer's hands and shit and that mm-hmm. is so Argento. Like that yeah. is a hundred different Argento flicks. Yeah, and we get a shot of his eye and yeah, totally. I, that that shot, go back and look at it. I'm definitely going to uh post a screenshot from it just that shot of his eye it looks like he has an iris over top of his other iris and really? i don't i don't know how intentional it was i don't know what they were going for it, it looks like it must have been the light and the camera lens that caught into his eye but the the way the light diffuses in his eye it looks like he has an iris over top of his other iris which makes him seem demonic yeah it's crazy. I, like i I hope that Bob Clark was going for that because that's ex- it's a genius shot. But like, that's yeah, really the, cool. the character is shown in like the hands or mm-hmm. just the eyes, and he is obviously just animalistic, crazy. So we get that same sort of idea in the Giallo films of the 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 killer having this compulsion, but also having this insane mind that's constantly moving. Yeah, it's very much like. Uh... Oh, damn it. Jennifer Connelly, like our first episode. What was that? Phenomena. Phenomena. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it reminds me in a lot of ways of Phenomena because you do have that same deal where it's like crazy, like you said, animalistic killer. You just see the hands. Yeah. You never know what's going on. Uh, and there's some visual elements and stuff of this too that do remind me very much of Giallo. We'll, we'll kind of talk about that as, as we go on yeah. here. But, you know, one thing that you can't ignore. Well, okay, before I get into that, let me ask you, was this the first time that you saw this? Oh no, I have seen this a couple times before this. Uh but it it uh this movie has stuck with me forever because of 
how different it is to all of the slashers that follow it. Yeah. Yeah, it's very much so. It's so different, and it, it's weird to me that more of the elements of Black Christmas didn't catch on Yeah, with future iterations of, of slasher films. I know what you mean, and it's funny because this actually was the first time that I had watched this movie, and I wasn't aware of what year it came out. So whenever the movie starts, and like the very first thing you have in the movie is this POV shot of you as the killer. Yeah. And the movie starts that way, and again, not knowing when this came out, I was like, huh, Halloween much? You yeah. know I'm thinking? It's like, oh, I copied that, but it's like, no, 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 Halloween Opposite. copied this. Other way, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and actually, I did a little bit of research about it. Um, I was initially just kind of like, oh my god, this is the first like POV killer shot in movies, but actually there was a movie before this, I think two years before this, called Peeping Tom. Uh uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, 69, maybe, I think. 69, wow. So it had some POV killer shots, and apparently, like, people really hated that and just couldn't fucking handle it. So <laughs> it was yeah. a little, was a little too ahead of its time, really. Yeah, well, yeah, putting people in the position of the killer, it's... I mean, that's a tough one. <laughs> if 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 people are, are taking that, that point of view very seriously, and suddenly they see themselves as the killer, it's it's hard to to take but like i think that the pov in this it just serves to show us the killer's point of view obviously Mm -hmm. but doesn't doesn't put us in the uh the seat of the killer because a lot of the kills we see then from a different point of view yeah exactly yeah you're not seeing firsthand like mike myers style yeah so that's interesting and that that's I like the way they throw the POV in actually serves more to make it a, a mystery than it does to make us the killer. Yeah, yeah, it's a different effect. Yeah, so we get the POV to show us maybe like we, you know, we don't know who's behind this, but this is what they're doing. Because mm-hmm. if we have any other shot, you see them. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. so they wanted to be able to show him sneaking into the a sorority house getting up to the attic etc but then also when they show the kills they wanted to show us the action but still keep the killer shrouded yeah uh the original title of this was the babysitter okay and it it's based off of the babysitter and the man upstairs urban legend which was an urban legend that had been around for a while before this um and Clark, when he got the script, Clark is uh, credited as producer and director on this. He he really took the helm at this. When mm-hmm. he got the script, he wanted to make sure that there was more humor in it. Okay. He wanted mm-hmm. he wanted it to confront actual societal issues, so he threw in the abortion angle, mm-hmm. and he wanted to deal with. Uh, elements of alcoholism not sure exactly why I wanted to do that but we get two alcoholic characters in this right Mrs. Mac and Barb and then he also felt that every movie up to this point that had shown young people in these horrific situations had always shown them to be uh, stupid and weak willed and Mm -hmm. so he wanted to make sure that his characters were astute that they were they were bright and they made the right decisions not always the right decisions because anybody makes wrong decisions but yeah 
that they make the right decisions, which is why we have the police involved immediately. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's not like a lot of other flicks where you're like, why didn't they just yeah. fucking call the police? They did. They actually did. They did. Yeah, you're yeah. Right. that is very different from a lot of a lot of movies that would follow it. A lot of slashers that would follow it. They exactly. Just, just fucking idiot people getting killed because uh-huh. they just you know uh, scream and sit down in a corner and wait for themselves to get stabbed to death or something. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it's a good point. It's like everybody in here dies not because they made a bad decision or anything like that or acted like yeah. an idiot. Like, it, they just kind of fucking get killed. Yeah, well, the actual central crux of this, the reason why everybody gets killed, some people still would have gotten killed, but the main reason why everybody gets killed is the desk sergeant in the police office. Yeah. He makes <laughs> that fucking guy. All, yeah, he makes all of the fuck up decisions that cause the the most deaths. Now that's true. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, two of the deaths would have occurred without him, but every every one of the deaths after that, like if he hadn't been in the way, they might have been prevented. <laughs> Damn, dude, that's a that's a good point. You know, it's funny too that you're saying that it was called originally called the babysitter because then, you know, again knowing what we know now, Halloween which yes. was obviously hugely influenced with this by this uh-huh. was called the babysitter murders yes exactly and and it it also deals with the same ideas like basically you have young women alone and a killer mm-hmm. um yeah. on a on a holiday on a particular <laughs> on a particular holiday yeah this movie also invented something that's interesting it is the uh, call is coming from the house yeah, which was of course later yeah. used in Scream and all kinds of other shit. Yeah, it's it's used in so much stuff, but this movie created that line, the calls coming from in the house. So, like there's so much going on with this movie. It's so influential. It's weird to me that it's not more widespread. People don't talk about it more because this isn't one of those movies that's influential but like hard to sit through. Yeah. It's yeah, a good I know movie. What you mean. I know what you mean. It, I, I really feel like this movie is to I'm trying to get the best way to put that. This movie is to like slashers, like Halloween and stuff like that. Uh-huh. It is to Halloween what, like, let's say a band like Anvil or Diamond Head would be to Metallica, where it's like, yeah, it did it beforehand, but maybe just a little too early. Yeah, or just missing a few little critical elements. Like, I wonder how much more of a success. And how much more iconic and historic of a slasher this movie would have been if instead of having the mysterious, faceless, identityless, you know, killer, if it would have had a character like a Michael Myers. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I thought about that too. And here's what I think. If they had made it a character at the end, it would have been mm-hmm. a character we hadn't seen. And so it would have felt cheap. Who the fuck is this? Yeah, it would have felt cheap. I think what it does is it sets up Michael Myers. Like Mm -hmm. it's it sets up that idea. Like yeah, we want a killer that we don't know who it is, but we also want to see the killer. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. So like yeah, Black Christmas uh, doesn't succeed in showing us this large, uh, statured or large framed killer coming at us, but. Black Christmas also does have the element that no other slasher, I think, has that the killer the entire time is in the house. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just there the whole fucking time. Yeah, the killer never leaves. From the beginning, the beginning of the movie is a POV shot of the killer sneaking into the house. Yeah. The end of the movie is the killer still in the house with two of the bodies that the police haven't yet found. Yeah, dude. So yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I think there's some real there's some real lingering fear to be had there that I guess just didn't hit with audiences as well as seeing the killer. Well, it makes you wonder if, like, if it would have came after, let's say, we had some of our big iconic slasher, you know, villains like Mike Myers and stuff like that. If this would have uh-huh. come a few years after that, maybe this would have been a bigger hit because it would have just been so different. It would have just been like, God, we didn't even know who it was, and he's still in the house, yeah. and that was different. You know what I mean? Yeah, it could have been subverting the trope, whereas here they were actually establishing all of the tropes of the slasher film though they yeah. did they did miss exactly what we're talking about right now and the final girl there is no final girl in this movie no huh i mean no. there's a girl who survives most of the movie but does she die at the end ben i think so that's yeah. one of those ones that yeah you know again considering that this is like a proto slasher uh-huh. Pretty crazy for them to end the flick that way with this ambiguous what the yeah. fuck just happened kind of thing. Like that's way advanced for this to be like a brand new genre, you know? Yeah. I mean, we'll we'll get into just the over general outline of this movie, but I I have to ask you the killer in this movie. We get yeah. a sort of premise about the killer in this movie that and this is just at the very end, John Saxon uh, from two other movies we've covered so far, Nightmare on Elm oh, yeah. Street and From Dust Till Dawn, um, John Saxon says that each of the calls must have come in after one of the murders. Yeah, exactly. So the the first call would have had to have come in after the 13-year-old girl was murdered and left out in a field. Yeah. And then after that, each of the calls is related to a sorority girl getting murdered. Mm-hmm. We see the cops leave the house with, and this again is the fault of that that desk sergeant. I can't remember his name, but uh, oh, it's Nash. John Saxon says to him, Nash, make sure everything's wrapped up. And then he leaves. And then, of course, somebody comes up to Nash and they say something about, you know, we need a ride somewhere. And he's like, oh, I gotcha. And he leaves. And so Jess, the, I guess the main character, is left alone and then as it's pulling out and it starts to show the final credits we hear the phone ring yeah indicating which indicates she's just, been killed. she's just been killed but here's my question mm-hmm. why why this killer who seems to be interested primarily in killing sorority girls why did he kill a 13-year-old girl and leave her out in a field? I know. That, to me, was such, like, a really odd spot of this movie. Yeah. It's like, who the fuck was that kid? Why did that happen? Why a kid? Yeah, why a kid? This is this is what where I think maybe, maybe Wes Craven was thinking with Scream. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, two killers. Like... Like, that's what I was thinking with this, too, is, oh, are there two killers? Because it seems like that could be the possibility. And that then makes it possible. Again, we'll talk about the overview of this in a little bit. That makes it possible that Peter is one of the killers and that Jess does actually take out one of the killers. Peter Piano, right? Peter Piano, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a jaunty title. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, so anyway, this movie is basically just 
set at Christmas time uh, for convenience, I guess, because at Christmas time people leave sorority houses. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, a bunch of sorority girls hanging out, drinking, etc. And then they each slowly start disappearing. Mm-hmm. And there's uh there's some there's some really good holly jolly Christmassy bits in there. Of course, obviously it starts with the Christmas party, but we've got some carolers, we got some trees. It really all kinds does of festive goodies. Yeah, and they um Bob Clark really used I think that you know, because we were texting about why this is called Black Christmas, but yeah. I think what he wanted specifically was just to have Christmas lights, because there are a lot of shots that are kind of shot primarily by Christmas lights. Mm-hmm. which is what makes them so creepy and interesting. Um, so I, I think maybe that was his idea. It was just like, oh, I'd like to shoot with some Christmas lights because of the way that that lighting make it makes it makes a room feel safe. Like when you sure. see you see Christmas lights through a window in a living room, you're like, oh, that's a safe place. It's a homey place. Yeah. So you automatically feel safe, which you shouldn't in this case (laughs) what do you think of the killer himself and his you know the most insight that we get into the killer is his his you know prank phone calls which were you know they hadn't really they hadn't really perfected the prank phone call by that point it would be years yeah that was nothing yeah i was like what the hell you know when's he gonna ask him if his refrigerator's running or prince albert and can yeah um but no instead it's a whole lot of uh jibber jabber and super vulgar shit and then super vulgar shit now when the killer calls there are four characters that the killer mentions billy agnes mother and baby yeah um and each of them seems to have a voice and the killer like moves in between these voices a a lot like it seems impossible it seems like he has to be playing a tape or something right i would think so and i i got confused by that a few times and that also led me to the whole thing kind of like what you're saying i'm like is there more than one of these guys here yes exactly different voices and shit the voices i think are fucking creepy as fuck too very creepy very very creepy and the, there's one thing that is said that makes it seem to me like Peter is in fact one of the killers. It's when the uh, killer calls with an obscene call and and gets Jess, Peter's girlfriend, who is has told Peter she's gonna have an abortion, and she said, uh, he said something to her like, you know, it's not like having a wart removed. Mm-hmm. And then the killer calls later and says, just like having a wart removed. And Yeah, exactly. Repeating that dialogue back. Yeah. Yeah. And then when Peter calls her crying, it sounds like the the killer. <laughs> like mm-hmm. the way he's talking to her, it's just like, wait, what? He's like all over the place and his voice is changing and stuff. So I I think there are two killers in this, but That's not even the most important part of this movie. The most important part of this movie is that this is a female-driven story with a bunch of strong characters that have real personalities and talk about things other than boys. Yeah, that's true. Passes that Beckdale, does it? Yeah, in 1974. And we got some some pretty great uh, actors and actresses in this. The one... I've already said John Saxon. We will probably see him again, I'm sure, when we do Dream Warriors, and, and he's oh, in yeah. other stuff. 
and the guy who plays Peter, Kier Dulia, also played Dave in 2001 A Space Odyssey. No shit. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. That's tight. I didn't know that. But the, the female leads, we have Olivia Hussey, mm-hmm. who played Bill's girlfriend in It, the 1990 version. Oh, yeah. You're right. Uh-huh. We have Margot Kidder, a.k.a. Lois Lane, a.k.a. the mom from Amityville Horror. Yeah, yeah. A.k.a. she's old drunky McGee in this movie. Yeah, and she's awesome. She's she off the chain. She likes party. She's, she's my kind of babe. I love what she does in this because first you have to remember this. She's not drunk. <laughs> like, yeah. I, yeah, that's a thing that hit me when I was watching it today and taking notes. Wait, no, but she's not drunk. Like she's not acting like, oh, I'm drunk. Yeah, she's totally. acting like a drunk person and she is not drunk. That is some awesome fucking acting. It's hard it's to do. Yeah, not over the top. Yeah. And we also have Andrea Martin, who plays Phil. She is the curly hair, and she's adorable. And she's from My Big Fat Greek Wedding. No shit. Who is she in that? Aunt Vula? Vula? Is that how it's said? Is she the one that's like, it's okay, I make some lamb? Uh, I believe so. She's the one who had the uh, the the thing on her neck that she says was her, her twin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's her. Holy shit, I had no idea that was her. That's awesome. And of course, we'll be talking more about her during our 2021 tour of Greece. <laughs> we'll be talking about that whenever my big fat Greek abortion comes out. Yeah. <laughs> so, there are a lot of great people in this. And in fact, uh, Gilda Radner was supposed to be in this. Oh, wow. Yeah, she was supposed to play Phil's uh, Phil, Andrea Martin's part, but... Uh, I, I I didn't really understand this. For two different sources I read said that she she either didn't take the part or had to quit production because of SNL. But SNL oh. didn't premiere for another year after that, so I'm not sure exactly what happened there. Maybe oh, they okay. maybe they had her under contract and they were like, no, you can't do that movie. I don't know. Hmm. So they got they got Andrea Martin. Um, Andrea Martin is from Second City. A lot of these actresses are real good at comedy. Margot Kidder is real good at comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, Mrs. Mack, the the older lady, she's so good. I like her a lot. Yeah, she's hilarious. I, I love how she is like strategically placed Sherry all over the house. Uh, yeah, she's an alcoholic. <laughs> she has a ton of alcohol just hid all over the house. For some reason, Sherry is just like the classic old drunk lady weapon of choice. <laughs> I've never had sherry. I've used like cooking sherry. I don't think I have either. I have too. I've never drank sherry. Is it a fortified wine of sorts? I would believe that. I mean, any woman I've ever known named Sherry seemed fortified. So, (laughs) Niles and Fraser sure do love it. That's true. Oh, Niles and Fraser. But they love tossed salad and scrambled eggs, and that's weird. Yeah, they do. (laughs) (laughs) So, I want to. Okay. I, I want to talk about Margot Kidder forever because yeah. she's so good in this. She is. She, um, this movie opens with that POV shot I was talking about, and we we get that the killer has snuck in the house. And how we get that is the first line of the movie spoken by Margot Kidder, which is, hey, who left the goddamn front door open? <laughs> yeah, I know. Dude. And it's like that was the first line of dialogue, and I was like, Whoa, this movie's yeah. coming in hot. Yeah, and then it cu- it cuts to some other stuff, then it shows her again, and she's drinking whiskey. She's just, just fucking pounding it. Cup. 
I'm yeah. like, this this chick is a fucking badass. Yeah, and she's being a badass throughout this Mario Kidder. But the thing is that there's this deep story with that character that we get only from the opening when we're seeing all those POV shots and you're just mm -hmm. hearing her in the background on the phone with her mother. The backstory is basically that she's rich, her mother is single, and her mother chases after men and has left her to her own devices for the holidays. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now she has invited some friends to go uh, skiing with her at a place that her mom rented before she met this man that she ran off with. Yeah. So she's kind of the catalyst of the whole thing, really. Yeah. And, and, and so she's her deal is that her alcoholism has to do with the fact that she's sad. She's a sad character. And she deals with that by pushing people away with some awesome humor and some really great alcoholism. So way to <laughs> go, Margaret. Yeah, she's good <laughs> at it. <laughs> but, you know, even that, that first line there, just that, you know, who left the goddamn door open, um, kind of starts paving the way for... How vulgar a lot of this movie is, dude. Like they oh, yeah. they say cunt like a million times in this movie yeah. in the the phone calls and stuff. And it's like yeah. real gross too, the way it's done. Yeah, the licking your pretty pink cunt and yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah like it it does not really spare anything. I'm kind of I'm surprised that this got made and released and uh was it rated R or was it NC17? Well, it's a foreign film from Canada. Okay, that's right. Uh, it, it would be rated R. Basically, it, it was released in Canada and then trickled into release in the United States, released mm -hmm. in some major cities. It was actually still going in late 1975. So it, oh, wow. it trickled into the United States. And ba basically, this was at a time where the rating system was still up or down as to whether or not everyone was going to adopt it. So... It being rated R was no big deal. Everybody still went and saw it. <laughs> wow. It, it, it didn't make a ton of money. It made $4 million, which is a lot over budget, but not a ton of money in comparison yeah. to, say, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which came out that year, and, um, you know, Exorcist, which came out the year before. But it, it made a pretty good amount of money. What do you think about the use of humor in this movie? Because it seems like <laughs> in a lot, of, a lot of the reviews and stuff that... I read and listened to on other people's podcasts and stuff. It seems like a lot of people are like, yeah, you know, there's just this this merging of these two worlds of humor and, you know, horror. And a lot of people thought that it just didn't really land and that it didn't make sense to have those two things. But what? I don't know, man. Like myself, I think that if you shot if you shot a movie that was about a sorority house full of like college age girls uh -huh. and there wasn't some cutting up and joking around yeah. and mischief and so on, that would be the most unrealistic shit ever, dude. Right, and the combo of, of horror and humor, the humor is just incidental. It's not like, say, you know, a scary movie where somebody gets killed and then they cut to some other people and they make a joke about the way they got killed or something. Like, Yeah, nobody's getting hit you know, in the face with a pie or anything like that. Yeah, the humor is, is Barb being witty. She's a witty character. There's also the humor of the desk sergeant being uh, an absolute idiot. Yeah, and the, and the house mom kind of like trying to hide the deviant behavior. Yeah of the girls and like trying to cover up that peace sign yeah. poster with the naked people on it and stuff. I didn't, I didn't think that it was too over the top personally. No. And, and Claire's dad who seems super prudish, mm -hmm. um, you know, the way he interacts with Miss Mac, that that's humorous. It's all funny. 
but there there's yeah it's not like just joke after joke or anything like that the the humor is all incidental to the story yeah yeah i thought so too so i didn't really i didn't really get on board with a lot of people's complaints about the use of humor in the movie and kind of like what we said about Shaun of the dead it's like it just kind of made it more realistic to me yeah exactly the first victim that we see because the the first victim i guess is the 13 year old girl right uh but the first victim we see is claire and what we know about Claire basically comes from right after the first indecent phone call. Uh, she says something about a townie getting raped. And then uh, Barb says, you can't rape a townie. Yeah. Uh, which indicates, one, that Barb is is rich and thinks that poor people can't be raped. And <laughs> two... Is- pretty fucked up yeah it's very fucked up and two that claire is poor that's what we learn basically because Mm -hmm. claire reacts negatively to it and everybody's like you're so hard on her etc so claire is poor uh barb is rich claire in any other slasher movie after this would be the final girl Mm -hmm. in this movie she's the first to die yeah and she gets like the bag over the head right yeah and then we see her a number of times with the bag still over her head sitting in a rocking chair being you know rocked back and forth by this killer i find that particularly disturbing pretty much everything about that like the idea of i mean the idea of suffocating to death yeah sounds um, terrible oh to me that's just like so fucking horrible to think about i love breathing it's the best yeah i'm a fan of it i try to do it as much as i can mm-hmm. but like the the way that she gets killed on screen i think is really kind of shockingly brutal yes and then the fact that we keep seeing her body through the whole movie um with you know the, the plastic like sucked into her mouth and stuff yeah i find that hyper disturbing dude and really like that that last shot of the movie uh where it starts off on the window where you can see her body with the bag over the head through yeah. the window of the attic and the camera just slowly pans out mm-hmm. um and you can see it you know uh, and all, nobody else can see this body up here in the attic. Man, it's hyper disturbing to me. Like that last shot made me really feel very unsettled and and strange. Yeah. Something about that that body with the bag over the head I thought was really iconic and powerful. Yeah, and like yeah, th- that's the thing I would say about this movie is that it's unsettling. Like yeah, it keeps getting you into this place where you kind of feel comfortable, and then reminding you oh wait also there's a maniac (laughs) yeah (laughs) anything can happen yeah yeah and and like if you keep forgetting and i think this is really good storytelling you keep forgetting that the killer is in the house yeah so when it shows them just having fun downstairs or doing whatever you're not that worried about them Mm -hmm. but you should he's there he's there with a dead body just hanging out yeah, um, and it, it doesn't exactly hit. So like, it keeps unnerving you. It keeps like keep it keeps you off of balance, so that you're constantly a little bit worried, but also a little bit safe. And I I think one of the main points where that happens is when <laughs> whenever the uh, whenever jess our main character calls in the indecent phone calls this is after they've already 
got report of the 13-year-old girl missing and of uh, Claire missing. Mm-hmm. And this desk sergeant just keeps fucking up. He gets the call. He writes down the address and everything. And Claire's boyfriend is there. And Claire's dad and Jess... Or not Jess, but uh, one of the other girls. And they all see it. And they go to the detective. And, you know, they have this, like, you know, intense sort of conversation about how they're going to go look for her. And then they leave... And the detective goes to look at the file to call the number and he sees that it's written down as fellatio one, four, two, eight or whatever. Yeah. Because Barb earlier, Margot Kidder had told the desk sergeant that fellatio is an exchange for the kids out there that don't know this. uh, (laughs) There used to be exchanges sometimes you'll hear in the 50s or 40s movies you'll hear like klondike 54275 that that klondike was an exchange kl um so in this case it would be fe fellatio but the desk sergeant doesn't know what fellatio is i didn't know what any of that meant so i'm actually very glad that you explained that to me just now (laughs) yeah well I, i thought i thought this might be a joke that flies over people's heads um when he's looking at the file, he looks and sees that the desk sergeant has written down fellatio one, four, two, eight or whatever. And the other cop has already seen it and he starts laughing. And then, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, John Saxon, Lieutenant, Mm -hmm. whatever. He starts laughing and then they go grab the desk sergeant. And like, there's this, there's this humor break that like i don't think like it might pass over some people i know i have a friend who who is a police officer uh and i've heard some of his funny stories and i have a wife who is a nurse and i've heard some of her funny stories and what you have to know about people who deal with horrific shit is that you have to find humor where you can and so so these cops are in this horrific situation where two girls are missing and indecent phone calls are going to the address of one of the girls they know there's a lot of shit going down but they find time to laugh at this fellatio joke yeah which Which again is just perfect it's realism it's really well done i really like it i gotta point out too while you're talking about all the um all the phone stuff and all that jazz Mm-hmm. That scene where like they're they're trying to trace where the call is coming Those from. Those are amazing. They, the guys running through the crazy telephone machine. Yeah, room. the stacks it's like, of telephone like lines. Yeah, it's I have insane. no idea what's happening. <laughs> it, the the scene. Okay, two things are happening. One, the scene is shot like two thousand one, somewhat where Dave is trying to you know yeah. pull out the right chips and stuff. But uh-huh. uh, the other thing that's happening is that they're showing us tracing a phone call in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Now, they're not showing Hard us work. it. Yeah, they're not showing us it like from the future where they're like, man, it was real hard back then. They're showing us it like this is real cool. And I got to admit, it is fucking cool. It's, it's really weird cool. that the dude has to run through stacks and stacks of just phone lines and and machines that connect them so that people can make calls yeah, to figure you're like out clicking where and whirring and shit. Yeah, it's so insane. And and so niche because before this, 
I imagine there were maybe a couple of movies that were like, trace the phone call or whatever, and then mm-hmm. they just did it. And then after this, we get a bunch of Hollywood nonsense about tracing phone calls. Like, it takes 60 seconds. You got to keep them on the line. Yeah. What this like- movie this movie does is it shows us tracing a phone call shows us it's more complicated than any movie up to this point has shown us and also shows us why it might take 60 seconds yeah it's also a a, a vigorous cardiovascular feat yeah apparently <laughs> you gotta run all over a goddamn huge building full of whatever those machines were I know. It was awesome, man. So I, I enjoyed that. That was just like a little look at like, that's how they used to fucking do that? Yeah, so crazy. It's really cool. One thing I liked about this movie, too, is that, you know, again, we're kind of talking about how this movie covers a lot of holes that later slashers would just leave wide open with, you know, dumb characters and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, did you notice how every time the killer was doing one of the kills inside of the house... There was always some incidental noise going on so that nobody heard it. Yeah, I okay, so I I had I like that. Yeah, I had uh this thought that like there are a lot of sort of incidental things that make every single one of the kills not being heard by someone or whatever make sense, which I think again was Bob Clark insisting that the characters not be dumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That like there is that like you as a viewer can be like, oh, I see why they wouldn't hear that. There were carolers, and yeah, yeah there's a it party. Se- yeah, it seems stupid. Like, oh, why would you stand at the door when there are carolers when you're in a horror movie? But like, they don't know they're in a horror movie. Yeah, <laughs> they have no idea. So like, everything seems understandable. The mm. only thing I have, the only main problem I have is that the phone line that the killer is using is the one in Mrs. Mac's room. We get that there is, there is a separate phone line in that room. Mm-hmm. If he's in that room yelling like that, yeah, how do they never hear him? Yeah, you'd think that you would hear that reverberating through a house, because if you've ever been in a big yeah. old house, yeah, they're real boomy. But I I do think, though, that one scene kind of maybe takes that up, and that is the last call that Jess takes, where mm-hmm. she's he's, like, talking to her, but she's, like, looking around the house. Yeah. So it, it seems almost like she can hear it other than just on the phone, but she's, yeah. not, she's not sure. Could you imagine, like, how fucking unnerving it would be Oh, being damn. on the phone with this fucking crazy guy that's doing all these voices and talking about Billy and Agnes and the baby and uh-huh. like, and you know it it's in the house with you like this lunatic is somewhere you're here like that would Christ. be unnerving yeah. as all fuck I would be running out of there like it was on fucking fire well you get why she killed Peter but th- this is also um h- here's a little question I I I think it might have bigger implications for the movie but here's a question I have. Um, Peter, uh, the main story with Jess and Peter, Jess is, um, pregnant with Peter's child. She's Mm -hmm. going to have an abortion. The end of that conversation. Peter does not want her to have the abortion, but more than that, Peter, um, doesn't want her to leave him, which is what eventually happens. Yeah. Now, I, their relationship is very complicated. She 
d pulls a full-on dick move. Now, I'm not saying it's a dick move to tell the person who got you pregnant that you're going to have an abortion. That's fine. But don't do it right before they they do, I guess, would have been like his final or something yeah, for the like musical conservatory. Yeah, thing. Which, you know, the <laughs> funny thing about that, too, whenever he started playing at his recital and he's like bombing it or whatever. Yeah. I didn't really realize that he was bombing it. I was like, that's some sick, like, 21st century. That's what fucking, I thought. Yeah, yeah I thought like, it was like, it was John like, I Cage. Thought, yeah, I thought he was doing, like, some <laughs> anti-melodic jazz. I was like, yeah, yeah okay, that works. I know. It was like, no, that was actually him just bombing it. I, I thought it was, like, really cool. I was like, cool, so he's, like, <laughs> nailing this audition. <laughs> also, two of the guys at the audition, the, t there are three people judging him, I guess. Two of them look like they're wearing Hogwarts robes. I don't yeah, know what that's what about. That? He was auditioning his piano piece to get into Hogwarts. Yeah, probably. So, yeah, that was shitty of her to come and say, like, hey, I'm pregnant with your child. I'm going to have an abortion. Good luck on that piano thing yeah, you good got. Good luck tickling them ivories, though, asshole. Just wait, just wait until later. Like, just tell him a little, a few hours later. I'll no tell you what, did. though. Like, it would be a pretty... It would be a pretty ballsy move in a movie today for uh -huh. a, a woman to say to a man, I've got things I want to, because she literally says, I've got things I want to do in my life. Yeah. I can't have this baby right now. It's, it's fucking like, perfect. I love that bold. about this movie. I mean, that's, that's really bold. Even if that happened now, people would be like, damn. Yeah, because Jess, I mean, I'm saying it is. it was shitty that she told him when she told him, but after that, he's a fucking turd. Like, he's yeah. like, what if I don't want you to get an abortion? It's like, who the fuck gives a shit what you want? And that's how she responds, basically. Like, no, like, I have stuff I want to do with my life. And he thinks he's going to solve it by coming in and being like, you know what? I left the musical conservatory and we're going to get married. And she's like, no, yeah. that is not happening. Yeah, that's some badass woman power. Yeah. On the list of the top three things you want, I want the exact opposite. So <laughs> let's just yeah. you head out and I'll do my thing. Pretty much, man. That's a that's a pretty hardcore move. I was really impressed to see that in a movie from this time period. Yeah, I think Peter um, may be one of the. I think there are two killers, maybe, and yeah. I think Peter Peter is the second one. I think he probably killed the thirteen year old girl, and then, um, you know, I, I'm not I'm not sure what's going on there. I think there would be a cool deep story maybe to a sequel, but this is seventy four before sequels were all the rage. Like, sure. Yeah, I would uh I would like to go back and analyze some of those some of those phone calls and stuff like that too because of course there is the mention of the baby and obviously Peter desperately wants a baby. So I would like to see if there's any more connection there than what I caught the first time. Yeah. The gals all get killed in the yeah. end. <laughs> That's sad. Uh the killer, we have no idea who it is. The only there's only one there's one male that is introduced that we don't get any follow-up on, and that is Phil's boyfriend. I'm trying to remember his part. He uh, it shows him briefly at the beginning, and then he's the guy playing Santa Claus uh, talking. Oh, yeah, okay. Talking about now. how Barb's a bitch for getting Phil to go with her on the skiing weekend when he was supposed to spend the weekend with her. I don't think that's a strong enough indication that he would be a yeah. killer. Exactly, and that's after the first two deaths already. So, like, yeah. he, he he wouldn't have had, like, an initiating reason to do it. Um, ain't, no other male characters introduced that, that could be the killer. So, 
we then just have to realize that either the killer is meant to always be unknown or it's a female killer. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, why, why do we assume it's a male killer? If it's a woman, she's got man hands. That's true, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I, yeah, I don't know though. And this is maybe just pure uh, aesthetic meanness, but if you pay attention, when they show Margot Kidder's hands, she has very manly hands. She got a manly hand, it's true. Yeah, I, and we know it's not Margot Kidder. But yeah, I guess the only other ind- indication that it would be male is like, during that last scene when the killer is like chasing her through the house and stuff, he's screaming like a fucking maniac. And he it sounds, is. It sounds masculine. Those screams it does. are fucking It actually sounds, dude. it's very primal. When he's like yeah. tearing at the door, it reminded me again of Phenomena. This movie totally. actually reminded me of Phenomena a good bit. Yeah. Uh, it reminded me of when the chimp is ripping at the, oh, the yeah, blinds and that built and that uh, house. Like it's so primal, and the noises he he makes they're so like they sound almost aggressive, yeah, just like ah, like just constant, yeah, out of control, man. It's really badass. Another thing too that reminded me of, um, like an Argento flick, like Suspiria, man, is that scene where. The chick gets like stabbed with like the the crystal like unicorn. Yeah, Margot Kidder. Okay, Margot Kidder's death is one hundred percent a giallo scene yeah. at the least. Because I know the lighting through the little crystal thing. Uh huh. We that. get a bunch of close up shots of the crystal and stuff, which uh-huh. is very giallo. Doing close up shots of weird stuff to show how yeah. the light hits it. <laughs> it's in the dark, and then we get the blood on the crystal, like this bright red blood. Yeah, that was very much Giallo for me. I would really be curious to know if this guy is like a big, you know, Giallo fan. Uh, I don't know. Has to have been. uh, Yeah, but like uh, Giallo flicks uh, had really only started maybe five to eight years before this. So like, yeah. So, you know, uh, yeah, he would have to be. He's obviously making reference to them. There's no way he's making oblique reference from other stuff he's seen. He mm-hmm. saw them, and he's obviously making a reference. So I, th- I think, yeah, he definitely was working off Giallo. So. And there's some other good kills, too, like whenever the house mom gets, like, impaled on that hook thing. Uh-huh, yeah. They're- Pretty brutal. Very Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, and it shows her later hanging from it, and it's like, what? That is brutal, because it's hanging through her jaw. Like, yeah, it is oh, very yeah. Texas Chainsaw, which is insane, because they came out 10 days apart from each other. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally. It's not an especially, especially gory movie. Like, there's not no. too much on-screen blood yeah. and guts or anything like that. Kind of like Texas Chainsaw. It's like it leaves yeah. a lot to the imagination. It's like it's it's less bloody than you remember. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, your mind fills in the blood. I think yeah, exactly. that the only real blood you see is when Margot Kidder gets killed, or when it just shows Phil and Barb dead. They have a little blood on their face, but like there's no big splashes of blood or anything. Mm-mm, no, it's nothing really too crazy. And some of it's completely bloodless, like the the bag over the head death. I mean, there's no blood involved there at all. Yeah. I was really blown away by how bleak the end of the movie was, man. Like, yeah. I watched it really late at night the other night by myself. And it's like for a lot of the movie, I was kind of like, oh, you know, whatever. This is proto slasher. I kind of, I kind of reminded me of watching like, um, 
What's that other one we did? Did we do like Slumber Party Massacre? Slumber Party Massacre, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was just like, okay, a bunch of people getting killed, whatever. It wasn't really doing a whole lot for me. And then, you know, it gets to the end. And like I said, you have that zoom out shot of Baghead Corpse. And then the phone starts to ring. And it seems like everybody's clueless about what's going on. And then the credits start rolling. I felt yeah. really unnerved and just fucking unsettled uh, and very surprised that, like I said, that was a movie. The end. A mo- yeah. And it's like a movie that is this early on into the slasher genre. I mean, really, one of the first ever taking such a weird, not heroic, not romanticized, not, you know, hero rides off into the sunset that you saved the princess. Mm-hmm. kind of kind of yeah. ending which is also something that that john carpenter most certainly replicated in halloween because the exactly. end of that flick too is just like laurie strode is just fucking broken mike myers is gone yeah it's like there's no conclusion there and that's kind of how i felt about this too where i was blown away by how non-conclusive the ending is it ends and you're like but i never found out who the killer was <laughs> I have no idea yeah, we never stopped him, you know. Yeah. It's and, and now this phone is ringing, so it's like I guess he's killed again. Man, it is a hopeless fucking ending, especially for a fucking Christmas movie. Yeah, it really it does. It inverts that Christmas feeling of of hope and joy and and having everyone around you to just absolute uh, isolation from everyone, and then being killed and forgotten, basically yeah. in, in a moment. Yeah, dude. Very, very nihilistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, coming from the guy who did Porky's and Christmas Story, <laughs> that's some, that is some dark shit, dude. Well, Steve, what would you say are your overall final thoughts on this proto-slasher, extraordinary Christmas romp of a movie? And would you rate it on a scale of 1 to 10? Well, I really like this movie. I think that it... It demonstrates what good slashers do, which is have mm-hmm. strong female characters, um, have characters who don't make dumb choices, and also protect your killer. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, the way that you protect Jason Voorhees or uh, Freddy is to make them invincible. The way you protect Michael Myers is make him invincible. The way they protect this killer is to just make so we never know who it is. Um, They protect the killer. They make the characters interesting and fun. They add some humor. I, I really like the way this slasher type goes. It would be mm-hmm. nice if more movies had perpetrated that. Instead of going with the simple, like, each character is a type and, you know, there's a final girl and uh, she's good and virtuous and true and that's why she survives. This movie, no, you don't even worry about the good and virtuous and true because she dies immediately (laughs) and then you deal with everyone else. Um, I, I really like that the movie confronts hard issues. I like... Uh, the way it shot, I think it obviously was going for a giallo feel. Definitely. Which I enjoy. Um, and as far as slashers go, it's fun. Now, it doesn't have... I mean, Halloween introduced the idea of that monolithic killer that is so frightening. Because mm-hmm. it's something to look at and fear. And it doesn't have that, and that's definitely a problem. 
because uh, having a killer that you can look at and fear makes makes your fear real at least in a sense instead of with this you you get more abstract, of that yeah you get more of that like oh if i'm alone in the house is there somebody with me like that that's a more vague fear to be able mm -hmm. to put it into a person is is maybe not as scary in the long run it won't stick with you as much but it's much more fun as a horror movie <laughs> yeah more fun to see yeah more fun to see so i i really like this movie i think it's a really great slasher as any slasher we've done so far goes i i think this is is up there halloween's better uh, halloween was imitating this so i still think this is good so mm -hmm. i think this is a solid seven and a half film seven and a half yeah what do you think ben that's a strong call and and i i agree with a lot of your assessment here um I think that this this movie you could almost describe it as like an American giallo movie because yeah. like you said it does have this artful thing. It is like a very richly saturated and colored movie too. Mm -hmm. Um especially with a lot of the lighting coming from Christmas lights and shit like that. Um and you have the whole mystery element. Uh yeah. even the fa even the fact that it's you know school-aged girls is something that you see in a lot of giallo flicks too. Yep. So there's a lot in here that does remind me of some of my favorite, you know, Italian flicks. So I would describe it very much as like an American giallo. Now it doesn't have the surrealism that mm -hmm. a lot of giallo flicks do, which of course, yeah. you know, we're looking timeline wise here. Maybe that wouldn't develop for a few more years in that genre uh, with, you know, Suspiria and stuff like that, really pushing that yeah. dreamlike atmosphere. So it doesn't have that, which is one of my favorite things about giallo flicks. And it's like you said, it's really interesting because it does have one foot in what would become the slasher genre, but it does manage to sidestep so many of the tropes of like, you know, helpless, dumb females, um, super flat characters that are just totally forgettable, just cannon fodder for the killer, you know? Uh-huh. It's like you said, all the females in this have actual definable personalities that you can describe and so on. Yeah. Um, they're going through real issues and stuff like that. They have real stories going on. So I think it's really, I think it's really interesting and very, very, very ahead of its time in a lot, a lot of ways. I mean, that being said, to kind of go back to my analogy from earlier, it's like if Halloween is Metallica, yeah, this movie is definitely, you know, Diamond Head or so Anvil. a ten. Right. <laughs> well, you know, it's like. I appreciate it because it did it first, but it didn't do it as well. Yeah, it's it does. Yeah, that, I mean, uh, for me to say seven point five, like I'm sitting here reassessing it, and I'm like, should I say higher? But no, I don't think so. Like, what, what do you what do you give it, Ben? I'm gonna say this is a solid six and a half to me. All right, six and a half. Yeah, it's yeah. like I won't rush to like run and watch it again anytime super soon. Um. I didn't have, like, a ton of fun watching it, you know, like I do when I watch a Halloween or something like there's that. There's so much so much happens in an hour and a half in this movie. Like, there's just so much story. See, I would have sworn that it was longer than an hour and a half. Yeah, like, exactly. That's what I'm saying, is there's so much going on when you could compact it like Halloween mm -hmm. does. Uh, it, but again, like, just like we're saying, I mean, this is a good movie. It's well worth watching. But when you compare it to all of the slashers that come after it, it's like, well, 
Is it as good as any of these? Like, is it as good as Halloween? No. No. So I think that's a pretty fair, pretty fair review overall. But an incredible, influential, like hugely influential movie. I can't believe that I had never seen it before, and I can't yeah. believe that when you hear people talk about slashers, they talk about Halloween like it was the the fucking first one to ever. Yeah, do like it. nobody had ever thought of that. Yeah. I mean, this movie, Halloween, really does ape this movie a lot, like yeah. a whole lot. So it actually does kind of change the way that I look. At Halloween too, because up until now I had viewed Halloween as this just like monolithic anomaly. Like, yeah, yeah. Like where the fuck did this come yeah. from? And it's like, oh, I see exactly where it came from. Like exactly where it came from, and it's this movie right here. So an enjoyable, uh, an enjoyable watch, I think, for any horror fan that wants to know the history of how we ended up where we did. So yeah, worth watching. Worth watching. Steve, what are we gonna be covering on the show next week? Well, it's definitely not a Christmas movie, am I right? Yeah, I, I mean, it might be. What are you thinking? Uh, what? I'm thinking Die Hard. Wild card! Wild card, bitches! <laughs> Every now and then here on Dead and Lovely, we like to throw you guys a wild card and review something not horror-related. In the past, we've done stuff. Uh, we did the first Harry Potter. Uh, we did another wild card not too long ago. What was it? Uh, Jurassic Park. Yeah, Jurassic Park. So mm-hmm. this is going to be a lot of fun because as you heard us speak about earlier, we fucking love Die Hard. So this yeah. is going to be a blast. Also, I haven't seen it since last year. So uh-huh. I'm excited to watch it again. Man, I'm excited as well. And we get to talk about Officer Carl Winslow. <laughs> well, in the meantime, while they're waiting with bated breath for that episode, where can they reach us on them internet, Steve? Well, you can email us at deadandlovelypod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at Dead Lovely Pod, and we also have a pretty great Facebook group. So check us out. Yes, indeed. You guys can follow me on the Twitter and the Instagram at Ben Eller Guitars. Steve, where, where can they follow you? Uh, at Steven Spratling. That's Spratling with a P. The only way to spell it. <laughs> guys be be sure to please go on itunes rate and review this podcast uh, it really helps us show up on those searches and top 10 lists and all that kind of stuff so if you want to do us a favor for all the many hours of work and research and editing that we put into this show please go on itunes rate and review it really helps us out a ton use g-rated language don't talk like billy on the phone or else they won't post it I would love, though, if we did get a review that was like Billy on the phone. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you guys have been absolutely lovely, and we have been dead. Dead. Merry Christmas, y'all. We'll see you next week. Woo! Bye. Bye.